The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome members of our military and foreign service who are joining us over the Internet today. Thank you for being with us again. And I also want to thank fellow host Charles Friedman for filling in for me last week when I was working in China and India. Thank you, Charles. In just a moment, former Congresswoman Miss Michelle Bachman will be joining us to talk about a difficult and often controversial subject, the role that religion plays in forging public policy, from the nuclear agreement with Iran to the legalization of gay marriage and abortion, Bachman will weigh in on the fine line between serving the public good and serving our beliefs. We'll also find out how she sees the 2016 GOP race shaping up. As a former candidate herself, she'll give us some insights into what the finalists can expect. But before Bachman joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about her background. Michelle Marie Amble was born in Waterloo, Iowa, and grew up in Anoka, Minnesota. After graduating high school, Bachman worked for a short while on a kibbutz in Israel. She earned her undergraduate degree from Winona State University and law degrees from Oral Roberts University and the William and Mary School of Law, after which Bachman went to work for the IRS. Bachman has always had a mind of her own. She worked just as diligently on the presidential campaigns of Jimmy Carter as she did for Ronald Reagan. And in 2000, Bachman sought a position on and was elected to the Minnesota State Senate. Six years later, she was elected to the United States House of Representatives, becoming the first female congressperson to represent Minnesota. While serving in Congress, Bachman helped found the Tea Party. You'll also recall that she was a candidate for the 2012 GOP presidential nomination. I also want to add that in addition to being an active advocate for traditional values, Bachman has authored an autobiography which gives a revealing account of her philosophy in life. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, former Congresswoman and one of the founders of the Tea Party, Ms. Michelle Bachman. Thank you for joining us today, Ms. Bachman. Hi, Rebecca. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I just want to observe a correction that I'm one of the founders of the Tea Party Caucus in the United States Congress. I think the Tea Party is more accurately described as an independent, organic movement that bubbled up out of a reaction against the overwhelming spending that occurred in Congress um, under the stimulus and also against the government takeover of the health care system with Obamacare. And that reaction really uh, brought forward this organic movement. And a lot of people don't know exactly what the Tea Party stands for. And what we had stated in the Tea Party Caucus in the United States Congress is that there are really three things that people who call themselves Tea Partiers agree on, and it's this. One is that government shouldn't spend more, more money than what it takes in. Number two, we are taxed enough already. And number three... Government should live under the rules that it makes for everyone else. In other words, government should follow the Constitution. So that's really it. That's what the Tea Party stands for. And when it became a much bigger issue in about the 2010 election, then I had founded the Tea Party Congress Caucus in the Congress. And um, that's really what it is. Well, now, as you know, many people, and, and particularly in the media, portray the 
Tea Party as a as an extreme organization, but you sort of laid out these three tenets. Governments should not uh, spend more than it takes in. Uh, we're taxed plenty already. And that uh, government officials should fall under the same laws that apply to ordinary citizens. I think the vast majority of Americans would probably agree with those three tenets. So why have they been portrayed as such an extreme organization? I think you almost answered your own question, Rebecca, because... You're right. Those those um, values are held by Democrats. They're held by independents. They're held by apolitical people. They're held by Republicans. And I think that that is why the Tea Party was such a threat to those who are in Washington, D.C., whether they're Democrats or whether they're Republicans. Um, there's a lot of people that are called what, by many the ruling class today. And it's those that want to see the current temperament of government continue. But that's not really what people outside of Washington, D.C. want to see done. They want government to act more in line with what our founders came up with. And their view was the American spirit, which was, as I said, we are taxed enough already. Government shouldn't spend more money than what it takes in and act under the rules that you pass for yourself. In other words, act like all of us have to act like. In real life. And I think that um, because the Tea Party was seen as a political threat, uh, they were smeared. One of the biggest smear campaigns I ever saw um, happened uh, in Washington, D.C. against the Tea Party. The first thing that America was told is that the Tea Party was racist. There was absolutely no evidence of people involved in the Tea Party who were racist. That the issue of race isn't even an issue in any way connected with the Tea Party, but because they were viewed as a threat and because they were viewed as a movement that could hurt the continuing status quo in Washington, D.C., they had to be marginalized, and they were marginalized by being lied about, and um, that continues to this day. Well, I I don't disagree with you. You know, this is why I'm on the air every week. I, I find it abhorrent how the media... Uh, grabs a hold of a story that's unfounded and then just runs with it. And then it's repeated so many times it starts to sound factual. And I think that, you know, there's no, there's no excuse for that when we have fact checkers who should prevent many stories from ever uh, getting any kind of airing at all. Um, but let's set aside the bad PR for just a moment, because I, I do agree with you. When I start to actually look and read the literature of the Tea Party, uh, I don't really find anything in there that's racist or sexist. Uh, I, I, you know, and I, and I look or hard extreme, because... Or extreme. Yeah, or, 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 or even extreme. So, so let's set that aside. Maybe this has to do with the uh, how they want to go about making sure the government doesn't spend more than it takes in, how they go about uh, restricting uh, tax uh, increases, um, and how they go about uh, making sure that the same laws apply to everyone. One of the things that was pretty controversial is just this no new taxes across the board. Well, I I don't know where that came from. I think that that must also be, uh, I don't know where it came from. That's Again, the Tea Party is a grassroots movement, and I don't know anyone who said no new taxes across the board. Maybe someone had introduced an amendment. Maybe somebody came up with an idea like that. But, uh, but the essence of what the Tea Party wants is to make sure that, uh, that the taxes that we have aren't being raised, and unfortunately we're seeing that all too well. In fact, if I could mention one of the biggest tax increases that isn't labeled a tax are the increase in health care premiums. And the reason why you could almost call that a tax is because these are all new government mandates that are being put on health care by government through the Obamacare plan. And so today, people are seeing quite literally increases of 25%, 36%, in some cases 50% or more in their health insurance premiums. And unfortunately, what Obamacare has turned out to be is redistribution of wealth, not through the tax code, but through the health care system, mm-hmm. where people are paying in huge increases, whether it's their deductible now has increased. I had so many people contact my office and tell me, do you know that my deductible now has jumped to 6000 a year? One woman said to $13,000 a year. So they have to pay a massive deductible, and then their premiums escalate. And then here's something new that's happening under Obamacare that I just confirmed 
uh, with my local medical clinic. Um, many insurance companies today um, cover all sorts of different prescription drugs, but what they're doing is they are denying um, the prescription that the doctor is giving, and they're telling the patients, you instead have to try um, Tylenol or aspirin or something else, and you have to fail on that before you get the prescription that the doctor says you need. It's all part and parcel of denying people what they've already paid for. And that's yeah. also, in my mind, an increase of taxes through government mandates in Obamacare. Well, that's a good place for us to break. We've got to go to a hard break, but when we come back, let's talk about some of those other additional taxes. You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli. Where can people go to get Caraccioli Cellars wines? The best place is your computer and go to CaracccioliCellars.com and that's C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars with a C. Or if you happen to be in the Carmel area, visit our tasting room in downtown on Dolores. We're also available in many restaurants. We're distributed in about 15 states and we direct ship to about 30. So there's a good chance that we can get it to your door. And I will tell you that the easiest way to get the wine is to go straight to the website. It makes it so convenient to have it arrive at your doorstep. I cannot tell you how many dinner parties I've had where even though you're not that far away from me, (laughs) I've ordered by mail so that the wine would arrive in time for my dinner party, and it always has. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel-by-the-Sea, or find us online at caracciolicellars.com, or reach us by phone, 831-622-7722. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, Big Data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. This is Mrs. Future from the Dr. Future Show. We have had Etheric Networks for 10 years, and it has always been really a stellar service. There's always a real person there. If you have any need to call them, they fix things as quickly as possible. Our service has hardly ever been down, and the service is just great. We live kind of in the middle of nowhere, and there are no other mainstream bandwidth providers where we are, and Etheric is a great service. We're really lucky we have it. Thank you, Etheric Networks. KSCO, Residential Special. Residential service up to 10 megabits per second, symmetric. That's up and down for $85 a month and $199 installation. With guaranteed minimum speeds and uptime, unlike our competitors. Etheric Networks. Call 650-399-4200. That's 650-399-4200. Etheric.net. That's E-T-H-E-R-I-C dot net. Get connected with one of California's most exciting business communities every Saturday from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. on Think Local First Radio. Join local business people as they host local business people for a conversation about doing business and staying in business in Santa Cruz County. This Saturday, join Dix Copatoni from Little Biz, Jill Salito from Modern Life, Matthew Swinnerton from Event Santa Cruz, or Michael Olson from KSCO as they host fascinating business people and true adventures from the Santa Cruz County business community. Think Local First Radio is brought to you by Sock Shop and Shoe Company at 1515 Pacific in downtown Santa Cruz. The first thing they look at is shoes. And if they see you in shoes and socks from Sock Shop and Shoe Company, they will look up to you. And also buy Staff of Life Natural Foods Market at 1266 Soquel Avenue in Santa Cruz. Think local first and eat local first by shopping a genuine Santa Cruz tradition. The original Staff of Life Natural Foods Market.
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Congresswoman and one of the founders of the Tea Party Caucus, Ms. Michelle Bachman. And before the break, you were saying that the increase in health care insurance costs has put yet another tax-like burden on working Americans. And, and I agree with you. Actually, when you stand back and you look at the tax burden, uh, there are all kinds of things uh, like health care insurance that that we must pay and we just don't call taxes anymore, like DMV fees and um, bills, b- business registration fees, uh, permits to build. I mean, when you really start adding these things up, the tax burden is horrible. No, it, it really is. Um, I am a former federal tax litigation attorney. I have a doctorate degree in law, but then a postdoctorate degree in federal tax law. And I worked in the United States Federal Tax Court. I was hired by the United States Department of Treasury. The chief client was the IRS. And my goal was to see how the government thinks and how the government works from the inside out so that I could go then and work in the private sector and be, have, be more valuable within the private sector. Ultimately, I went to the United States Congress and served on the Financial Services Committee and also on the House Intelligence Committee, we dealt with the classified secrets of our nation and also primarily focused on terrorism. But what I have seen um, as an individual who, together with my husband, started our own company from scratch and continue to have our company, is that there are more and more so-called hidden taxes to the very heavy regulatory burdens that both the federal and state and local governments impose on employers, but also... Time after time after time, we see increases in um, uh, fees, as you mentioned, that bring the cost up for businesses and for customers that are passed on. The most recent one being um, the new mandate that President Obama passed through the uh, EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency. And uh, in my own home state of Minnesota, where we have our local um, energy company called Sherco. Um, I sat down with the officials of Sherco prior to President Obama imposing this new regulatory burden, and he imposed it unilaterally. Congress didn't have anything to do with it. They told me that just those regulations alone would increase for the ratepayers an additional billion dollars a year in fees, a billion dollars. So what that means is the company doesn't have that money. It's the ratepayers that have to pay that increase. How could that be considered anything other than one more tax burden, in effect, that people have to endure? And after a certain point, there is no more there there um, for people to go and find the money to pay all these increase in costs. Well, this is a good point that you're making is that suddenly people will see rate increases in their utility bills. And they don't understand necessarily because you've got to trace it backwards. You've got to reverse engineer it to see that it is by any definition a tax that's being passed on as part of your utility bill. It is. And it comes to us in so many different ways, whether it's uh, fees and banking. I, as, when I served on the Financial Services Committee, the Dodd-Frank bill was passed. And that really spelled the end, the death, if you will, of free checking in your local banks. Um, and that increased the cost of borrowing, the cost of being able to buy a home. Um, all of that has gone up. So that's hurt real estate people. It's hurt developers. It's hurt the consumer that wants to buy a home. Instead of making it easier for people to get a residential home or easier for people to get commercial real estate, it's become far more expensive and difficult. That, I, In my mind, you'd have to call it a tax. The yeah. same with these fees yeah. from Obamacare, the same with Dodd-Frank on, Frank, on, on, uh, on banking, but also with the EPA requirements. In fact, in my, again, in my home state of Minnesota, real estate developers told me that just the new regulatory burden that came in place through the EPA would mandate an additional $1,500 on the cost of a home because of, a different, because of additional EPA requirements that they had to meet, and there weren't any environmental benefits that they could point to from it but it sure was benefiting the EPA, which has oh, well over 10,000 employees at the federal level, but then again at the state. And my view is that um, we all agree with clean water, clean air, and preserving the environment for the next generation. I don't know anyone who doesn't agree with that. But it seems to me that on a state-by-state basis, the people of California, as well as the people of Minnesota, um, know what kind of rules they want in place to deal with the environment. And we have 
often contradictory rules, one set of rules that come from the federal uh, government, another set from the state. And at a certain point, businesses don't know what to do anymore because you can't be in compliance with both. They contradict each other. They're extremely expensive. And I cannot tell you the number of business owners, owners that told me, Michelle, if I had to start my landscaping business today or if I had to start my manufacturing business today, I couldn't. I couldn't pay for the permits. I couldn't do what I needed to do. And uh, I don't even know if I'll continue my business. Well, at a certain point, that impacts our economy tremendously because we need jobs if we want to continue as a country. And all of these regulations come at a cost. Well, we do know that the vast majority of job increases always comes from small business when the economy begins to thrive. You and I have something in common. You run your own business. I run my own business. I have never seen it this bad. I have I have been running my own company for uh, I sold my previous company in Silicon Valley and I started this second company and so I have been in business for myself for 25 years and I have never seen it so bad if the government could cut back on some of these regulatory taxes I could hire at least one or two more full-time people I cannot afford to do that and meet my governmental obligations well, so right. it's very real to me. It's, it's real. It is frustrating. And uh, people, people have an idea, and that's why they start a business. They see something. They know how to build a better mousetrap than the other guy, and they provide a good or a service, and all of us benefit from it. And why in the world government thinks that knows better how to run your business than you do is beyond me because they prove over and over again that they don't. And who does it hurt? It hurts the common man and the guy at the bottom of, or the gal at the bottom of the economic totem pole more than anybody else. Um, I came from a very modest family. Uh, when my parents were divorced, my family literally uh, went into poverty. We went to below poverty and we did the very best we could. And uh, my mother gave great advice. She said to me, Michelle, there's one thing that can never be taken away from you and it's your education. Do you study? And that's what I did when I was 13. And because I, you know, was responsible and did what she told me to do, I was able to put myself through college and law school and all the rest. And I saw the value of a dollar and the value of hard work. And we've transmitted that to our five kids. And then because both my husband and I have broken hearts toward kids in challenging situations, we took 23 foster kids in our home. We raised them. Um, Each of them graduated from high school, which we're extremely proud of. And now all 28 kids are out of the house and grown and gone and launched, and they're all leading leading productive lives. Well, that's America. That is the power of the American spirit where you rise to whatever level your abilities take you and you contribute. You're not taking, you're contributing to society. That's a good thing. That's what we want families to do. But if, if kids get out of school and there are no jobs for them, how cruel is that? Well, I think it's the cruelest thing. I think it's the cruelest thing of all. And it sounds like you've passed on uh, this lesson that your mother gave you on to uh, many new children who uh, deserve jobs when they get out of school. Um, We're going to take another short break. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about foreign policy with former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. You're listening to the Costa Report. Do you love creating salads as much as you enjoy eating them? Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Dole inspires fresh and wholesome dishes for any meal with their wide selection of salad blends and all-natural salad kits. From the mild and tender texture of sweet butter lettuce to the crunch of classic romaine sprinkled with colorful shredded carrots and red cabbage, Dole has over 30 salad blends to satisfy every palate. If you're looking for the ultimate in convenience, try Dole's unique salad kit combinations that include farm-fresh lettuces and vegetables, mouth-watering all-natural toppings, and specially made dressings. It's all you need to make a distinctively delicious salad. The possibilities are endless. Visit www.dolesalads.com for recipes and other ideas to feed your culinary imagination. Hello, I'm Paul, a student at Hillsdale College. Here is my professor, Dr. Larry Arn, on the separation of church and state. America's founders believed in the separation of church and state. 
in that the country was not to have an official religion or an official sect. But that did not mean that government was to be hostile to religion or even indifferent to religion, as many today argue. In fact, America's founding document, the Declaration of Independence, includes both a reference to God as the author of the laws of nature and a confident assertion that human beings are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Far from being hostile or indifferent to religion, America's founders understood the theology of the Declaration to be an essential part of the education of citizens. This Constitution Minute was brought to you by Hillsdale College. To join the national conversation on the Constitution, go to constitutionminute.org. Here's a September to Remember thought for the day. The way things used to be is the way things are. At the Watsonville Auto Center, we're talking about the small-town values of honesty, integrity, neighborliness, and the low, low prices that only come with a low, low overhead. Now is the perfect time to discover those values at Watsonville Auto Center's September to Remember credit sale. Qualified buyers of new cars can get factory financing as low as 0%, and qualified buyers of used cars and trucks can get interest rates as low as 2.9%. Ten brands and dozens of new models wait for you at Chevrolet of Watsonville, Marty Franich Chrysler Dodge and Jeep, Marty Franich Ford and Lincoln, and Watsonville Cadillac Buick GMC. Take the short drive to the way buying a car or truck should be. Just off Highway 1 at Main and Auto Center Drive. It's a September to remember on Auto Row in Watsonville. Hello? Hi, Grandma. No, Grandma, I can't fix your computer. I'm sorry it's so slow, but I don't know what to do with it. You clicked on what? You better call user-friendly computing, because I can fix any PC, Mac, or laptop. They'll even come to your house and pick it up. But if you bring it to the shop, they'll give you a free $50 diagnostic just for saying you heard their ad on KSCO. No, Grandma. Downloading that free internet software won't save you time or money. Let's face it, most of your computer problems these days start with the user being tricked into clicking on a link that contains a path to computer hell. User-friendly computing will have you back on track fast. User-friendly computing is locally owned at 505 River Street across from Gateway Plaza, or you can give them a call at 831-423-9653. That's 831-423-9653. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Michelle Bachman. Uh, so if it's all right with you, I'd like to move on to uh, the president's uh, nuclear agreement with Iran. Uh, you've been um, on the press and in the media uh, recently uh, talking about the fact that you feel that the only effective policy is to bomb the centrifuges and nuclear development facilities in Iran and uh, that this agreement um, is not going to be as effective as going down that route. I wanted to, the media jumped on some extreme comments that you made. I, 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 I don't like it when they take intelligent people and turn them into cartoon characters. Uh, and we just seem to have a, a press in the United States that likes to do that. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to explain your position. Yeah, thanks so much for that. This agreement is a travesty not only for people in the United States, but for people across the world, because effectively, President Obama has advocated for the position that has been taken by the Ayatollah of Iran. Now, I think it's important for your audience to know that Iran is the number one designated terrorist state in the world, and that, has, that designation came from our own United States government. Why is that? Because Iran, through their proxies, Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, um, has continued to bring forth terrorist activities against people not only in the Middle East, but also against American citizens. Iran has effectively killed many, many of our American soldiers in Iran through their use of IEDs and other measures. This agreement, under President Obama's leading, will give, will lead to Iran having a nuclear bomb. I believe that they will acquire nuclear bombs far earlier than what the president is predicting. Earlier this year, President Obama himself admitted 
that within 13 years, Iran would have a bomb and recognize that at the same time, the leadership in Iran has stated over and over again that they believe in death to America and death to Israel, and their intent is the annihilation of the Jewish state of Israel. Knowing that, why would any sane group of nations give leadership on this order access and also to the point where we have stated that we will help Iran in learning how to make, build and make advanced centrifuges. We have pledged that we will protect their nuclear hardware as from sabotage while they're in this process, and we are giving Iran access to, at minimum, $150 billion, virtually immediately as a signing bonus. But over the ten, next 10 years, Iran will literally be enriched by over a trillion dollars because of the sales of oil, et cetera. So what this means, bottom line, Rebecca, is that Iran will be the wealthiest terror state in history. But a terror state with intentions to use nuclear firepower against their enemies, which they state are Israel and the United States. We have never had an American president before negotiate with terrorists to the point where we are enabling, empowering, and enriching them to be able to acquire nuclear weapons. Rogue nations before have acquired nuclear weapons. In those three instances, when those nuclear programs were taken out, it was done through the military means of taking out and bombing their nuclear hardware. That's how you end a rogue program. It doesn't mean that you drop bombs on shopping centers or kill innocent kids. All you do is precisely take out the nuclear hardware. That's what a sane nation would do, a nation that wants to stop World War III. The Ayatollah is threatening to begin World War III. I believe in peace, and the only way that we could take out and end that nuclear hardware is by destroying the nuclear hardware. And the way you would destroy it is through our capacity that we have with our military. Well, we've had several generals, yeah. We've had several generals on the program, and they claim that there may be up to 30 to 70 facilities if, if we even know where they all are. And they say that this would be such a tremendous uh, bombing mission. Um, and even after that, they're not sure that we, could, we would get them all. So how do you respond to that? Sure. Well, um, I've talked to experts. Again, I sat on the Intelligence Committee. We dealt with the classified secrets of our nation. Mm-hmm. And without revealing any classified secrets, I have talked to experts as well that have said that we are one of the only nations in the world that has the capacity to take out Iran's nuclear program. We could do it today. It can't be done in an afternoon. Yes. It would take a period of about six to eight weeks. Um, there is a strategy that you, we, you use. We have allies who would work with us. And we could go in and we could get this job done. Are, would there be potentially be covert facilities that we are unaware of that could be? But let me tell you, if we leave in a smoking ruin the weapons of mass destruction currently under construction in Iran, we would be doing ourselves, Israel, our ally, and other nations of the world a huge favor because Iran has designed. Uh, they intend to control the Gulf Baden. They intend to control the Straits of Hormuz. And they intend to control and dictate not only who the customers of oil are, but what the price will be. Today, as you and I are talking, the price of a gallon of gasoline in Nashville, where I am right now, is $1.99 a gallon. Um, If and when Iran acquires nuclear weapons, you can count on the fact that gasoline will no longer be in that price range. Gasoline will be far more expensive because Iran intends to be the predominant power. But they also have um, uh, religious-oriented reasons, uh, according to the Ayatollah, of what they want to do. And because of their hatred against the Jewish state, they intend to annihilate the Jewish people. And they have said themselves that it would take exactly one bomb, because 80% of the population of Israel works in the Tel Aviv area. It would take one nuclear bomb, and virtually 80% of Israel would be gone. Now, I believe that if there's anything that history has taught us in the last 100 years, it is this. Uh, When the unthinkable is mentioned by madmen, the sane world should take those words um, in a very sobering light. I believe that we should mitigate against any forward activity of Iran to achieve their goals. 
death well, what, to America. But what do you say to people? Yeah, what, what do you say to people who say, well, why don't you give diplomacy and give this agreement a chance? What do we have to lose? Let's say we give the agreement a chance and they violate it. Well, then the agreement's broken. And, and so well, then there's nothing to prohibit us from going in and taking out those facilities at that point, right? What we're, what we're losing is time. We are losing the luxury of time. And even President Obama and his negotiators have, negotiators have indicated that um, they don't have all the information about the Iranian program and that we may be unaware of when they achieve their goal. If you look at the history of rogue nations achieving nuclear power, North Korea being one, Pakistan being another, um, our intelligence community was not aware of those nuclear programs until after they came online. Mm-hmm. And, and in every instance, that has been the case. Our intelligence community was not aware. We are aware that there are numerous facilities going forward in Iran, and Iran has violated their words. They have broken U.N. resolutions time after time after time. In the last two decades, Iran has never kept their word on any of the U.N. agreements. And as a matter of fact, if you read the tweets of the Ayatollah himself and of the leaders of the Quds Force, and of the special forces, they state over and over again that their aims have not changed, that they do intend to annihilate the Jewish state, and they intend to defeat the United States and bring about our um, death and destruction as well. Again, I believe that a sane country looks out for its own best interests. And again, we are not, I am not advocating that we kill innocent people. I am advocating that we do what has been done before. The nuclear program was taken out in Iraq. Um, from Saddam Hussein. Another nuclear program was taken out in Syria that North Korea built um, in the late uh, 2000, I think it was about 2007, 2008, 2009. Right. That was taken out. When, we t- when the program was taken out in Iraq, uh, Muammar Gaddafi from Libya literally called the White House within two or three days and said to the Bush White House, uh, look, I don't want to fry, so please come and take my nuclear program. Yeah, well, we had had success. There's no question that when we acted with precision and we took out these facilities, we have had a successful result. No no question about that. We're going to have to take another hard break uh, to hear some messages from our sponsors. We'll be right back with more from Michelle Bachman. You're listening to the Costa Report. As a scientist who works hard to stay on top of current events and trends, I know how easy it is to get caught up in the details of a story and lose sight of the big picture. What is happening to society as a whole? Where are we headed? Why does it feel as if there's greater instability, unrest, and danger in the world? The truth is, very few of us have time to contemplate these questions. And if we're waiting for our leaders or the media to paint a clear picture, well, we may be in for a long wait. That's why I'm urging you to grab a copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Do it now. Go to RebeccaCosta.com. Find out why scientists, government leaders, and the heads of the largest corporations in America are waking up to a newly uncovered pattern of human behavior. That's The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com, a bestseller in 26 countries and a book that Richard Branson, Donald Trump, and experts everywhere are calling a must-read. That's The Watchman's Rattle, available at bookstores everywhere and online at RebeccaCosta.com. Biodiversity is the very fabric of our lives. It is everything around us, all of nature. But human impact is diminishing biodiversity at an alarming rate. And because of that, the intricate web of biodiversity is unraveling in ways we don't fully understand, and our world is becoming less resilient. That's why we are biodiversity advocates. We're the E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation. Guided by the greatest living naturalist, E.O. Wilson, we champion research and education that expands our understanding of biodiversity and informs worldwide conservation efforts. The E.O. Wilson Biodiversity Foundation is building a movement of environmental stewards like you who share our sense of responsibility for the living world that is our home. Join us in our quest to protect biodiversity, the fabric of our lives. Visit eowilsonfoundation.org. 
Hello, my name is Jackie Tucker. I am owner of a home care agency called Care from the Heart in Home Service. We are honored to provide a variety of caregiving services from homemade chicken soup to hands-on care and to continue to encourage you and support you to be independent. We specialize in dementia care and end of life. Our team of care providers are supervised by our case managers who are also registered nurses. Our care providers are certified nursing assistants and to further develop their knowledge and caregiving skills, they are taught by our nursing instructor, Barbara Mayoshi. She's a very important member of our healthcare team. Barbara has been teaching in Santa Cruz County for eight years. Hello, I'm Barbara Mayoshi. I'm an LVN licensed vocational nurse and instructor. I have been on the Care from the Heart healthcare team for a year now, providing the wonderful employees of Care from the Heart with their monthly in-services. I teach continuing ed classes to increase their knowledge and skill set. Teaching Care from the Heart caregivers has been delightful. They are kind, caring, and very respectful. Care from the Heart is here to serve you with dignity and respect. Our telephone number is area code 831-476-8316. Again, the number is 831-476-8316. Our doors are opened 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Please call Care from the Heart. It's always open house at the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, and you are always invited to walk right in and join the discussion. Hello, I am Mike Young, and I love talking real estate with all the experts and with you. So get a jump on the Real Estate Weekend every Friday, 7 p.m. on the Mike Young Real Estate Hour, right here on Listen and Be Heard Radio KSCO. The Mike Young Real Estate Hour is brought to you by Thunderbird Real Estate, Real People Selling Real Estate, by Rick Williams at American Pacific Mortgage, and by Steve Manville at Farmers Insurance. Friday at 7. See you then. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. Uh, now, Ms. Bachman, y- you have been characterized a- as a person who leads by her faith. And uh, I-, I know that this is a difficult subject to cover in a program like this, but our founding fathers were pretty clear about a separation between uh, state and, and religion. Um, and-, and so can you talk to us a little bit about what happens when you run up against legislation which you feel would be good for the country but conflicts in some ways in your in your religious beliefs how do you resolve that i don't really recall an example where that happened i think it's important to know that separation of church and state it was vitally important for our country because the experience of europe is that one country after another had a state religion. The United States government didn't want to have a national religion. A lot of people may not realize that some of the states, um, whether it's Maryland or North or South Carolina, different states, had a state religion within their state where citizens often contributed to the clergy of that particular religion. Our founders didn't want that. They wanted freedom of conscience and freedom of thought, and tolerances were very well for the United States. Uh, We're all free to believe or not believe according to the dictates of our conscience, but it's also true that most of the founders of our country had a strong and abiding faith in what today we would call a fairly orthodox version of Christianity. They didn't believe that religion should be excised from the public marketplace. That's why they put in place the Bill of Rights, the first one being freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, so that people could practice their religion, not just behind closed uh, religious doors, but anywhere in the United States, and speak, including in the well of the House of Representatives. And in fact, our national motto is, in God we trust. The founders saw nothing contradictory. But let's talk about let's talk about people who believe that there should be freedom for same sex marriage, freedom for a woman to control her own body, including electing an abortion. Um, When it comes to these freedoms, is it your belief that the founding fathers did not expect freedom to extend that far, or are those your religious beliefs? Well, remember, again, there is a difference in our constitution between what are the duties of the national government. 
and what are the duties of the state. If yes. you look at our Constitution, we have Article 1, Article 2, Article 3. Article 1 covers the United States Congress, of which I was a member. Yes. There are 18 enumerated items that are the responsibility of the United States Congress. The president it also is limited in what he can't do. He, we, we see a president currently, in Barack Obama, who I believe has taken an expansive view of Article 2 in, in that he has irrigated himself uh, uh, duties that belong only to Congress and only to the Supreme Court. That's another discussion. Mm-hmm. But again, all of our government was expected to be limited. The judiciary, the Congress, and the president didn't have unlimited powers. Any powers that weren't listed in the Constitution, according to Amendment Number 10 in our Bill of Rights, says all of the rest of those decisions goes back to the state. It's pretty simple. So can, so, I, so can I just clarify something? And let, let, me, let me clarify something so I'm sure that everybody's understanding. Are you saying that the decisions about uh, gay marriage, as an example, or abortion should really return to the states? Yes, those decisions should be made by the people in the states. And on the issue of gay marriage, people all across the country spoke on that issue. Many states uh, established the definition of marriage and put it in their state constitution or they passed some sort of a legislative action. Then the legal case went before the Supreme Court and the opinion was authored by Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy. And Anthony Kennedy took a very interesting uh, route. He said that uh, he pointed to the dignity of people and he talked about love as being the basis. And he made a decision that was agreed on by four other justices. And he essentially overturned all of the state actions, many of the state actions in this regard, much like the Roe versus Wade court where Justice Terry Blackman did the same thing. He overturned many of the state decisions. California, for instance, in 2008, I believe, passed your proposition that that put into law what the definition of marriage should be. And what I believe is that the people should make the case and debate in their own state as to the laws that they want to live under. Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you said that. Turn themselves into a super legislature. That yeah. becomes judicial tyranny. I, I'm glad you said that because I think your views have been uh, grossly mischaracterized. And uh, I'm glad that you were able to get that out and say, listen, uh, this is not a federal matter. It should move out to the states and the states can decide how they feel about abortion and gay marriage. Um, now, we're almost out of time here, so I, I can't let you go without asking you about the GOP race that's heating up. Uh, is there any one candidate who you're, you feel more aligned with your views than, than others? Well, you know, that is, that is a moving target all the time because we learn more about these candidates. <laughs> right. I, know, I know almost everyone up on that stage. Um, I think Ted Cruz is absolutely excellent on the Iran issue and foreign policy. That's the issue that I've been focused on more than any other in the last four years. And I'm very comfortable with where he is coming from on that issue. But there's a lot of great candidates. Like I said, I know them personally. And I'm very excited about the direction this is taking. And we'll we'll get a good candidate soon. Uh, So as far as the Tea Party is concerned, do you hear amongst your peers in the Tea Party, do you hear any rumblings that they have a preference for a candidate? Well, I tell you what they don't want is an establishment candidate. They don't want anyone who's going to continue what Washington, D.C.'s failed policies are today. They realize that this next generation of millennials coming up has a very different uh, trajectory in that the debt burden they will have to deal with will be nothing like we've ever seen before. And they want to make sure that the next generation has the same shot at life that we had. And so they want somebody who is going to uh, actually be very bold and do something very different and not continue on with a lot of these failed policies in Washington. So they don't want an establishment candidate. And, you know, you can decide for yourself who the establishment candidates are. They want somebody a little bit fresher. That's why you see these outsiders like Trump and Carson doing extremely well, because they want somebody who's been in the real world and is going to shake it up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're facing a $20 trillion debt by the time this election takes place. And, uh, and we don't and we don't have any. Well, I'll tell you. Importantly, yeah. More importantly, Rebecca, that that fails to include the two hundred fifteen trillion dollars of federal commitments that our government has made. That's where the real money is. Mm-hmm. We're talking Social Security, Medicaid, all the rest. That's two hundred fifteen trillion in addition to nearly twenty trillion of outstanding debt. No nation 
has ever had seen that debt burden before. No need. Well, I'm glad you point that out. I'll, I'll tell you right now, we don't have any economic models for that kind of debt. Right. <laughs> any economist will tell you. Thank God, preach it, preach it. That's, yeah, no, we we don't. People need to know. We don't. We don't and have any way out. We're lulled. We're lulled into not seeing it because our government continues to borrow and spend money that we don't have, so we don't see this huge debt increase. It's like it's like the um, avalanche just before it comes. You know, it builds, 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 and then it crashes. Well, I I love these 28 kids that I have, the foster kids and biological kids. We're now expecting our first grandchild. Life will be very different for them. And I feel Mm -hmm. terrible that on my watch that we could leave them much poorer with fewer options than what my parents gave to me. Well, it's a tragedy that life has gotten so hard for young people, because at one time, I remember when you got out of college, you, you, you know, that was the beginning of the fun part of your life, the independence, right. the success that you That's could build. Right. But now I see young people and I, I don't know what to exactly say to them because it's, it's a different time and it's, and they're going to struggle and they're going to suffer unless we get on top of this debt. Um, it's really unforgivable to leave that behind, not to mention the tax burden that they will suffer. Um, right. And, and, and not only them, the people that are trying to retire, you know, it's a, it's a big yeah. problem. Well, unfortunately well, the, that the good, the good news is yeah. we can turn it around. Oh, there's that's still cool. time. We there's still time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have got left today. Um, but before we let you go, I, I do want to take this opportunity to thank you for your service to our country. Thank you, Ms. Bachman. Thank you so much, Rebecca and all the best to your great audience. Thank you. And come back soon. Um, if your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Michelle Bachman, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com. My guest next week was the former Secretary of Education, Mr. William Bennett, whose controversial new book titled America the Strong is hitting bookstores this month. Don't miss a thought-provoking conversation with William Bennett next week on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management